All right. Shabbat shalom. We we have we have in uh, this this past week's daf yomi. Uh, we actually have the justification for why we say the blessing for Torah study, uh, but it's a very short passage, so I didn't pick that one because it it would be about five minutes and then we would we would all go home. Uh, it's we're 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 in this section that's talking about the the blessings for food and the the blessings before meals. And then uh, the blessings after meals, which is sort of where we end up today. But, uh, well, you'll, you'll see where that takes us. Uh, it's after that, a little, a few pages later, we find out, uh, you know, should we say a blessing over uh, the Torah? And the answer is, of course, it's, it's another uh, a fortiori. How did I do? Was that good? <laughs> another a fortiori. Uh, uh, arguments, which, if you remember, is if you can tell it from an uh, from a uh, marginal case, then it's it's easy to tell from a definite case. Kol uh, all the more so. And 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 now I finally know how to pronounce that for for years because I only saw it in print. I never thought about how do you actually say it, and I never took Latin. <laughs> um, so, uh, if we say a blessing over food, which only sustains uh, uh, our bodies, then all the more so we should bless the Torah, which sustains our bodies and our souls. So, of course, we say a blessing over Torah. The blessing is right behind me. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. So today we're reading uh, from the, the the very end of Brachot 46b, just to get us started, and it goes into 47a. Uh, just as a, as as a quick reminder for anybody who needs one, the the Talmud is broken up into 63 tractates. Um, that's the English trans- translation, which it's, it's one of those times where the, the English translation of a word doesn't really help us. Um, 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 unless tractate is a word you commonly use. So there, there are 63 tractates. The first is brachot, which means blessings. That's why it's, it's all about blessings. Uh, although like any passage of Talmud, it has a tendency to wander, which we'll see a little bit of today. And uh, each page is, is laid out. There's a front side and a back side, an A side and a B side. Uh, the number is called a daf, and the A or B is amud. So we would say uh, daf 46, amud bet, amud B, side B. Uh, I, I, I won't say the numbers in Hebrew. Usually you just say the, the, the letters that add up. Um, so we're starting at the bottom of Brachot 46b and continuing on to the top of 47a. Uh, I'll start off because there are some names right here at the top. Whoever washes his hands first at the end of the meal is designated to recite the blessing of grace after meals. So uh, we began to talk about... Um, 
the blessing after meals, and then there's also a, thanks, there's also a, um, oh, Jamie. There's, there's also a uh, hand washing before a meal, uh, and then uh, some people have a custom, it's, it, it's less common today, uh, but some people have a custom of, of washing uh, after a meal as well, uh, before saying the, the, the uh, blessing after meals. So uh, you'll see the, the most common example uh, is during Passover, which is coming up, which is why I thought this might be, I know, we've got Purim first. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I'm already starting to think about Passover. Uh, but you'll see during the Passover Seder, there's uh, uh, actually twice when we wash our hands, uh, once without a blessing and once with a blessing, but that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, so there's, because you wash your hands before a meal, because not for cleanliness, which is what, what you know, you should do it for cleanliness, um, but this is a, an additional separate type of watch, washing, which is for uh, purposes of ritual purity. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about ritual purity in here. It's, it's a strange concept uh, of, of what makes something pure or impure. Uh, what is the significance of ritual purity? Is it about cleanliness? Uh, is, is, is it about being clean or dirty? No, not really. Uh, some people translate instead of pure and impure, translate uh, ritually valid and not ritually valid, which is a, a little bit of a mouthful, but is, is probably more accurate way to understand this ritual purity. Uh, we don't know how the rabbis thought about this uh, of, of the Talmud, uh, but... <clears throat> There are certain things that should only be done in a state, according to the rabbis, of ritual purity. Why? Because that's what the priests did in the temple. So remember, the, the entire practice of rabbinic Judaism uh, really develops and solidifies after the destruction of the temple, after the... the uh, when uh, a time when there are no offerings in the temple, when there is no uh, uh, priesthood per se, there are still priests there around, uh, and they have ritual significance. They're mentioned in the Talmud, um, you know, in 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 sort of a contemporary role, contemporary to the Talmud, and and even contemporary to today. Um, <clears throat> if you go to a conservative or orthodox synagogue, for example. Uh, it's very common to see uh, the, the order of the aliyot when people are called to the Torah. The first aliyah is a kohen, the second aliyah is a Levite, uh, and, and the third aliyah and on, if there are more than three, is, is Judah. So that's, that's still a reflection that the, the priests have a special role. Uh, if you go to a conservative or orthodox uh, service in Israel, you may even see uh, duchening, which is the, the blessing by the priests. Um, I don't know how much it's done outside of Israel, because um, there are a whole set of laws based around that. But if there is no priesthood, 
per se. There, is a, there, there are still priests. There's a role for priests. That's not what I mean. There's no priesthood in the temple because there's no temple, right? So how do we, uh, how do we maintain our practices when our, our you know, the, the, the tools to conduct those practices have been eliminated? There's no more temple. You can't have uh, offerings. So what do we do? Well, you sort of have two options. Either you adapt or you create a whole new set of, uh, uh, or you transfer, basically. Either you adapt um, and, trans uh, uh, and, and sort of transfer those practices, or you start something totally new. That's what, uh, for example, Christianity did. They said, okay, the old covenant, that's out. We've got a new covenant complete with a new testament. Uh, you don't have to follow all of those old laws. That was uh, uh, the, the point of Christianity, uh, that, that you, you didn't need the priesthood because uh, now you've got this whole other system to, to communicate with God and to, to you know, uh, uh, to pray. Uh, Judaism didn't have that option. Uh, I, I guess we could have said, okay, out with the old, we're going to create a brand new Judaism, and the rabbis did a little bit of that. There's some innovation, but most of what they're trying to do is to preserve what existed before. Uh, so if the priests took offerings in a state of ritual purity, the uh, the, the rabbis took this idea and said, we're going to take the temple and transfer it from the temple to the home. That's the significant part. And then every meal then becomes a meal offering. And so it became very significant to eat uh, every meal in a state of ritual purity because that's what the priests would do when they accepted the offerings. Uh, there are even some groups of Jews that, that took this to an extreme. Uh, the, the Essenes, uh, who, who lived at Qumran, they wrote presumably the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, they're they're um, uh, you know, described at length by Josephus. Uh, this, this was a, a, an extreme group of, of uh, uh, Jews who lived out in the desert, if, you, if you've ever been or recently been to. I don't, I don't know if you went by the Dead Sea this time. <laughs> but if, yeah, it's, uh, you, you almost have to be, be a, a fanatic to want to live there. <laughs> um, there's, there's, I mean, it's deserts, uh, and, and the only water source is undrinkable. Uh, unless you pray really hard and it rains, and then you can, you know can get you know a little bit of uh, rainwater that you collect, that's what they did. Uh, and uh, among other things that they believed, the the, the Essenes, this this um, uh, you know fundamentalist, I don't know whether to call them fundamentalists or a cult. I guess it sort of depends on your point of view. Um, they believed that uh, 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 they took ritual purity to extremes. They believed that uh, uh, they needed to be continuously in a state of ritual purity, which is uh, part of the reason that they did not allow any women to live there, uh, which is not a very good way. If, if you want your 
religion to last you know, more than a few years, um, banning women is probably not very effective. So we're talking about scenes. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom. I'm just super impressed that all of you finished the 15K in time to be here. <laughs> oh, so you're the, moving quick. So the rabbi, yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing selections. Oh, oh. <laughs> so we are, um, I'm going to turn the sound off on this thing too. So we are, um, we're talking about ritual purity. Good. So the rabbis uh, wanted to create a, a state of ritual purity around certain things, around meals. Uh, you're supposed to eat in a state of ritual purity because that's what the priests did. They did not take it to extremes like the Essenes. Uh, they said, you know, purity, you know, it comes and it goes, and, and it's just a normal thing. You know, you, you uh, if you become ritually impure, then you do the process to become ritually pure again. But it's it's a you know it's a normal thing, um, so that's what the deal is with all the hand washing. All right, this is talking about uh, hand washing at the end of the meal, which is uh, as a, maybe Rabbi Simon knows. Are there are there still a lot of people that do Maya Machronim that do washing I have after never a meal? Seen it. I've I've never I've heard of people who do it, but I don't know who. Yeah. They are. I've never seen it either. I mean, I, I wash my hands after I eat, <laughs> but, but not with not ritually. Yeah. Eva and Judd, I'd say forty percent of the time. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. So, <laughs> um, can you use soap or no? Uh, uh, without soap. Uh, ge generally, what people do is you, you wash your hands with soap before the, the meal, and then when the meal is ready to begin, then there's a ritual hand washing, which is uh, just with water. That may be an interesting lesson for another time. There is an interesting story about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Vatican. Shabbat Shalom. So, uh, so this is talking about hand washing. After, uh, after the meal. Uh, that's just to give you a little bit of context of where the conversation is before this, and they're talking about you know, who does it and how you do it, what blessings you say, things like that. Oh, in those days, did they have utensils to eat with their, eating with their fingers? I don't know. If they're eating with their fingers, then they might definitely need to wash their hands afterwards. If you have utensils, hopefully your hands are pretty clean at the end of the meal. Um, okay, just a thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking they probably didn't have utensils. See, the fork was invented, what, 16th century? The fork was invented late. Yeah. Um, they had, I mean, you had spoons, uh, you know, those go back uh, a, a, a long way, but for solid food, yeah, the, the fork or, or um, you know, chops, forks and chopsticks were invented around the same time, but they, they would have used forks. Uh, coincidentally, there's no... Um, I'm... You have to ask a historian about that one, but that's that's much later. 
Uh, yeah, probably they're either using a, a bowl and a spoon, like for a stew, or or um, you know taking you know a, a, a bread or a vegetable and and dipping. Um, that would be my guess. Okay. So that's that is going to actually be a relevant question uh, in a moment. I think. I think we get there. Um, no, actually, that's that's right before this. There's there's a question of um, uh, who leads the the or who washes their hands first. Um, I guess, I guess we should have started earlier on, on, on the DAF, on the page. Uh, so there is, there, there, they do ask that question. It comes up. Uh, they said, okay, who washes their hand first? And they say, well, the, the most important person, of course, should go first. And um, they, they uh, another rabbi responds, so he's, is he supposed to, um, you know, just sit there and wait for everybody. This is, you know, at the beginning. And then at the end, they say, okay, the most important person can go last. And they say, uh, uh, so that he doesn't have to wait. Because once you start washing, let me, let me talk about, this is a practice that's still done uh, today by, by many Jews. When you have a formal meal and you, you have hand washing, um, and this is very common, uh, uh, you know, when I was living in Jerusalem with, you know, a lot of other, you know, rabbinical students and, you know, rabbinical students from other movements as well. Uh, whenever we got together with a meal, there would always be hand washing at the beginning, uh, especially for Shabbat. And uh, there's, there's a custom that uh, from the time you wash your hands, you're, you're washing your hands in preparation for the meal, so you shouldn't do other stuff in between washing your hands and saying the motzi. Uh, and it was very interesting. You can imagine you know, a bunch of you know, rowdy uh, uh, Jews sitting around a table talking about whatever. Uh, and then uh, uh, one by one, as people are washing their hands, uh, it becomes totally silent because you don't want to say anything. After you say the blessing, you wash your hands, and then you don't want to say anything. You want the next thing you say to be the motzi. Uh, so if it was a large group, uh, sometimes that was a long process, and it was it was really um, almost a spiritual experience listening to you know very noisy room gradually become quieter and quieter as people are washing their hands one by one until it's totally silent, uh, and then and then uh, whoever's leading says the motzi. Uh, so that's why you know the the leader you wouldn't want them. Uh, necessarily to go first because then they have to sit there and wait for everybody else and they're not allowed to do anything. Uh, and the same thing at the end of the meal. So they say, okay, uh, the leader can wash their hands uh, last. Uh, and then the other rabbi responds, so is the leader just supposed to sit there with dirty hands this whole time? Uh, which goes to your question. Um, you know, everybody has finished eating, so they're just sitting there with dirty hands this whole time waiting for everybody else to wash. Uh, the answer there is, is uh, the leader is allowed to continue eating and, and, until he, in this case, is ready to, to wash his hands. So while everybody else is washing, the leader can continue eating and then wash last and then lead the blessing. Um, <clears throat> what did they mean by dirty hands? Is it literally dirty from the food, or is it... Uh, ritually impure, uh, that's uh, probably a, another question for another time.
So whoever washes his hands first at the end of the meal is designated to recite the blessing of grace after meals. So let's see where this goes. That's all background. Similarly, the Gemara relates Rav Abba Chia, or Rav and Abi, Rav and Rabbi Chia were seated at a meal before Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi, and by the way, whenever you're reading the Talmud and it just says Rabbi, that's that's uh, Yehuda Hanasi. Uh, he, you know, if uh, maybe not the number one rabbi of all time, but probably made the top ten. Uh, Yehuda Hanasi redacted the Mishnah. Uh, was uh, the the um, religious leader of the Jews uh, at that time, uh, also a, an important political leader of the Jews. Uh, really, sort of unique in Jewish history that this is somebody who um, had had. Uh, wealth and political power uh, and great learning all at the same time. It's rare to have all three of those and obviously very advantageous for the Jewish community if you've got a leader who is also a tremendous scholar and also uh, uh, you know, works very well with the authorities, then uh, uh, you know, that's, that's a good recipe for a thriving community. Um, so that's why anytime you see rabbi, we know who it's talking about, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Said to Rav, stand and wash your hands. So they're all sitting around, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, this, this great, uh, uh, you know, the most important Jew in the world, uh, says to Rav, go wash your hands. Rabbi Chia saw that Rav was trembling in fear that perhaps he had conducted himself improperly during the meal and therefore had to wash his hands. It was like cutting him off. He's like, all right, stop eating now and go wash your hands. Uh, so he's worried. You know, this is, this is uh, uh, not quite a king, but almost like a king. Say, you know, you're, you're at a banquet, you know, very fancy meal. Uh, who says, all right, stop eating and go wash your hands now. So he's worried. He's like, okay, what did I do? Why does he want me to... You know, leave the table, go wash my hands. Did I do something wrong, or, or did I do something uh, uh, to make myself ritually impure? Um, you know, is Rav say, is, is is Rabbi saying that you know I'm I'm did something wrong? Uh, so Rab, Rabbi Chia said to him, "Son of nobleman," is talking to Rav. He is saying to you to review grace after meals as the first to wash his hands after the meal is honored with leading the blessing. So what's happening here? You've got the three you've got three characters, right? Rabbi's giving him the honor. Yeah, and what is what does he think at first? He's thinking it's a punishment for something. Right. So, this is this is all about, uh, and and the passage that follows all about uh, uh, rabbinic manners, Talmudic manners. Let's say, um, how to behave, dear dear Miss Manners, right? Um, it's about etiquette. So there is a particular etiquette here 
that uh, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is giving you know, this great honor to someone because he is, uh, uh, you know, comes from, from a noble line, that obviously he, he's a, a person of some esteem, the, a student of some esteem, uh, giving him this great honor to lead the, the, um, the Birkat Amazon, the grace after meals. Um, but he doesn't realize, because he's not familiar with the etiquette, presumably, uh, that that's what Rav is, uh, uh, Rabbi is saying. Rav doesn't realize it. So there's, there's a little bit of a miscommunication. Luckily, his friend is there and is able to explain, don't worry, he's, he's asking you to do this honor to lead the entire table, presumably of, of many uh, uh, important rabbis and people. You know, if you've got these three sitting at a table, you, probably you've got a lot of you know, very esteemed uh, uh, people sitting at some kind of a, a banquet. Uh, he's saying, no, he wants to give you an honor. He's not saying you did anything wrong. So what does that teach us about etiquette in general? We should follow etiquette, yes. Are, are there ever these types of misconceptions uh, regarding etiquette that happen today? All the time. Where somebody thinks that uh, someone's being rude, but they're actually being polite. They might be saying something you know, to, to, to save their feelings. There's... Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm trying to think of a good example, and there's a story that came to mind, but I can't share it. Um, <laughs> um, no, because it doesn't involve me, but but it's it, it's not something. It involves someone in the community, and so I can't share it. Uh, it's not mine to share, rather. Yeah. Does this uh, at every rabbinical luncheon? Mm-hmm. It should be somebody who's on the sea. Is that right? Uh, no. Uh, a nasi is a very specific title. Yeah, is it, isn't, that, isn't that title move on? Like if he's the Hanasi here, but you go over here to another group of rabbis, somebody else is on No. Um, you could say maybe a, a, a Rosh, which would be like the head. Um, but no, nasi is a very specific title. Uh, it's, it's usually tr- it's often translated as as uh, Judah the prince. Uh, nasi is like a a a, a, a political title, uh, meaning this is the nasi. This is the person who speaks on behalf of the entire Jewish community to the Romans. Uh, that's the nasi. There there are. Uh, other people, uh, maybe there are not other. He, he might be the only one that has this title of Nasi. There are other people that ha- I, I would have to look it up. Um, but it's a specific title for the role that he has. Um, I 
I don't know after him if the title continued or if it was a different title. The position still existed. There was still somebody who was the 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 you know the head who would would you know be in touch with the the, the Romans and communicate. Um, who was also a respected person in the community, but nobody was respected in the community in the way that uh, Yehuda Hanasi was in the Jewish community, uh, that he was uh, the supreme rabbi, uh, uh, rabbinic authority as well. Bless you, la um, He was the supreme rabbinical authority as well. Uh, so he was not just a political authority, uh, he was he was not merely a liaison. He was not just an ambassador to the Romans. He was also really the head of the entire Jewish community. Uh, he's sort of unique in that role. What happens when there's a group of non-rabbis meeting? Is there somebody who takes that role? Uh, sort of. That is, I think, not in... It's not in the section here, but there, there, there is a discussion of um, uh, uh, elsewhere near this passage before and after about you know uh, what if what if there's a, a group of uh, um, uh, ameha aret of uh, uh, how do you describe an amha aretz? That's a whole other passage. Ignorant would be like a boor, but it's close enough. Uh, if, mm. if there's a group of ignorant Jews who don't know the correct practices, uh, that's, you know, if they're sitting around, what prayers do they say? And there's a whole discussion of that. So there is a recognition that other Jews are getting together and doing stuff, but um, most of the passages in the Talmud, rabbis are, are uh, primarily interacting with other rabbis. Uh, there, there's probably a whole discussion about that we could have at some point in the future because it's it's an interesting tidbit. Why are the rabbis only hanging out with other rabbis? Um, it's it's sort of the exception to the rule when a woman or a slave or an amharetz or a Roman, if if you know some outsider, uh, some non-rabbi shows up in a story, it's sort of the exception. Uh, it stands out. You're like, oh, what is this person doing here? When you'd think it would be the other way, that you know the rabbis are constantly among other people, uh, interacting with different people, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, was it that those interactions were not significant? Uh, or was it that the, the rabbis really were sort of insulated in their academies? That would be an interesting question for discussion. David. Um, Rab. Who was Rab? Is that just an abbreviation for... A rabbi's name? Um, Rob, he was, he was just called Rob. I don't have the biographical details. I, I, I should. <clears throat> next, next time I will. Um, so Rob, Rob that, that he's just referred to as Rob. That's his name. For, for our purposes, that's his name. Um, all right. So we've got this sort of uh, interesting situation of, of etiquette, where uh, uh, Rav thinks that he is has, has done something wrong, he's being criticized, but actually it's a great honor that he's being given. Um, and that can happen. You know, 
there, there are these misconceptions because etiquette uh, is, is situational and it's cultural. What might be, um, you know, my, my parents talk about, you know, visiting Africa and it's a great compliment if, if uh, uh, in certain parts of Africa, if people spit on your feet because it's, it's like uh, symbolically, it's cooling your feet down from like the heat of the desert. Uh, whereas, um, if if uh, you know, in our society, that would be a great insult. So this is um, this is all about uh, etiquette and establishing among the rabbis, at least, what the proper etiquette is. Because if you don't establish the etiquette, if you don't sort of enumerate it, then you don't have, uh, um, you can, you can, it would lead to more of these types of misconceptions of, you know, somebody who feels, you know, slighted or insulted when in fact that was not the intent. So that's our first story. Okay, so Rabbi, I have a question. Yes. Yes. You You're washing your hands. And you're washing your hands and you go three times. Now, I always thought this when I did that, that there's no soap. So <laughs> I always felt like it is just a symbolic gesture. It is. Right. It's just a symbolic. So you, it's, not, it's not really the cleanliness of the spirituality. You know, right. Yes. Uh, in modern practice, the, the, the hand washing we're talking about absolutely is symbolic. It's a spiritual activity. It's not a practical activity. Um, but we also have an understanding of, of biology and, and disease that did not exist even 200 years ago. Um, if you ever have a chance to read, by the way, about how hand washing in hospitals uh, developed and began. It's a fascinating history. I, you don't have time to get into it right now, but basically it was uh, the, the, the nurses would wash their hands um, and the doctors wouldn't. And, uh, and, and the patients would, uh, you know, the, the, the places where they had these, these nurses, or nuns actually, um, uh, the, the, the patients, in, in this case it was, uh, the particular case that had to do with um, uh, women who were giving birth. Yes. So could you imagine a doctor delivering your baby without washing his hands? No. Um, and all of the women wanted to go to, all the, all of the women who were pregnant wanted to go to the, um, uh, the, the, the nuns. They didn't want to go to the doctors because uh, all of the women who went to the doctors were, were dying, were getting sick and dying. Um, and that's sort of how, they, because they didn't believe. They said, how could you think that, you know, there's something wrong with my hands that I would have to wash them? I, like, I don't see anything. My hands are clean. <laughs> so the idea of hand washing having a practical effect is really a very young idea. And it's, it's hard pastor, for me. After pastor. Yeah. Pasteur, who you know figured out that you know the, the disease spreads. Uh, uh, it's it's not just a random thing. Disease doesn't emerge spontaneously. Um, 
uh, so it's hard for me living in the modern world to divorce that mindset and try to imagine what would it be like if I didn't know anything about germs, if I didn't know anything about hand washing, um, you know, what would it be like to live in a world where you didn't know that? What is the significance of hand washing? Is it related to cleanliness? Is it related to disease? Because we, we relate hand, hand washing to all of those things. Um, or is it, a, is, is it more, you know, I don't, I don't know how the rabbis would have felt about hand washing if, if it was my hands are dirty and I need to wash them or if it was purely a spiritual exercise, I don't know. Well, that, that's what I thought the first time I did that, which was many years ago. Yeah. And I actually remember, you know, doing that and thinking, where is <laughs> um, yeah. So you're you're wash you're you're pouring water on your hands. That's what we're talking about. There's there's no soap. There's no like rubbing. Um, uh, and it for sure for for contemporary Jews, it's uh, purely a spiritual exercise. There's there is not a um, cleanliness aspect to it. Uh, did the rabbis feel that same way about it? I, it's, it's impossible for me to imagine how they might have thought about it. I, ju I just can't put my mind in that kind of mindset and divorce it from um, you know, what I know. There's, I mean, there's also, cleanliness is also sort of a, an emotional thing. Um, you know, Two people could look at the same same thing, and you know, one of them says it's clean, and one of them says it's dirty. It's it's almost like a feeling, um, you know. And then there are people who you know look at something that's uh, no matter how clean it is, they always think it's dirty, and that's like you know OCD. Uh, people who you know, I know my hands are clean logically, but I have to wash them ten times, or they don't feel clean. Until I, if I only do it nine times, then they'll feel dirty all day. It's it's like an emotional thing. Um, I I tend to think that that's uh, innate to, hu to to human nature. That sort of emotional connection, you know, that we somehow evolved with that, perhaps. Um, you know, as as a way of self-preservation. Um, you know, we know that that uh, disgust is a very fundamental emotion to to 
uh, human beings. It's, uh, uh, mm. I, I was reading something recently that that's actually the first thing that, that babies learn um, is disgust. So that they, you know, if, if uh, you know, they see their mom or dad says yuck to something, then they're always going to associate, oh, that's not, you know, that's not food. That's not something to put in my mouth. That's yucky. Um, which you can understand why, just from from the sake of evo evolution, that that's valuable uh, knowledge to pass on. That, that it's a, it's a fundamental emotional response, and that's related to cleanliness. Yeah. I think I recall reading where during the great plagues of Europe, mm -hmm. Jews had a lower mortality rate, mm -hmm. and attributed to the washing of their hands. Is that true? Um, I've also read that. I don't. I've never read it like in a scholarly article, so I don't know how closely that's been investigated. If um, Jews survived the Black Plague at a higher rate because of hand washing, uh, because of cleanliness, uh, I mean, it could be. It makes sense. Uh, you know, there there are a lot of things related to Jewish ritual practice that uh, do, as sort of as a result, have health benefits. You know. Uh, before Passover, you have to clean every morsel of food, even, um, you know, the tradition is you're supposed to take a candle and a feather and search every corner with a candle and sweep it up with a feather uh, to get every little grain, every crumb of bread uh, out of your house. Um, you can imagine that a lot of uh, cultures didn't, didn't have an annual cleaning that was that detailed, and if you've got little crumbs of food all over, you know, that's, that's going to attract, you know, vermin, which carry the plague. Um, you know, if, you have, if, if you're in a custom of washing your hands, you know, maybe you're out in the fields, you know, dealing with animals, uh, even just rinsing your hands off might be of some benefit. Um, I don't know how you would test that, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, it could, it could, it could be that the Jewish cleanliness, uh, ritual cleanliness is related to practical cleanliness in certain times of history. May, may I address Mark? Sure. That also gave credence to those that thought Jews were poisoning the wells. They knew which wells were poisoned, therefore they didn't drink from them. Right. If, if, if the Jews are surviving when everyone else is dying, then there must be something sinister going on. Um, although uh, it, it could, well, well, we'll leave that because I'd like to continue at least a little bit. Um, sometimes these conversations go in different directions and that's okay. That's built in. Uh, I, I try to guess where the conversation is going to go oh, oh. and put some text there. Uh, sometimes I get it right, every once in a while. But before you leave, we have to have that other time. What's that? Well, when a question is asked, oh, I say that's for a another question time. for another time. We so do... if you escape out, <laughs> we're, we're dangling here. We, do, we, do, we don't always get to all of those questions, but we do sometimes circle back. Those, those, those of you who are regulars for a long time know that, uh, you know, sometimes we do get back to those questions. Um, you have to get back to them before you leave us. Yeah, that's what David was saying. <laughs> Um, you know, we, could, we, could, we could start maybe like an email uh, 
uh, thread. <laughs> All right. right. <coughs> but you're not going to have enough to do. So the yeah. So the the Gemara continues to discuss the topic of washing after a meal, uh, just just like we continue to discuss it. Uh, the sage is taught, although it's customary to defer to greater people, nevertheless, one shows deference neither on roads nor on bridges. Okay, what do roads and bridges have to do with washing your hands? Nothing. <laughs> the connection, if, if we hadn't had the discussion at the beginning that we had about this passage, um, we would not know what the connection is, that it's all about etiquette. So now we're going to talk some talk a little bit about etiquette. One shows deference neither on roads nor on bridges nor with regard to dirty hands, i.e., with regard to washing hands at the end of a meal. What does that mean? The Gemara recounts: Ravin and Abaye were traveling along the road on donkeys. Ravin's donkey preceded Abaye's, and Ravin did not say to Abaye, let the master go first. Abaye, who is this great rabbi. Abaye said to himself, ever since this one one of the sages, Ravin, ascended from the west, Eretz Yisrael, he has become arrogant. So they're living in Bavel, they're living in Babylonia. Ravin went to Eretz Yisrael, lived there for a while, and now he's come back. So he's, oh, now he thinks he's, you know, so high and mighty because he's been to Eretz Yisrael. He's feeling maybe a little bit jealous. He's, he's thinking, oh, this guy's getting very high in his britches. He thinks he has some high status that he's going in front of me. Uh, how rude. Doesn't he appreciate, you know, my my. Uh, sageliness, sagacity, something like that. I don't know what the word is. Um, uh, you know, doesn't he appreciate me as as uh, as his 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 elder, as his better? Um, so ever since he uh, went up or ascended from the west, he's become arrogant. When they reached the door of the synagogue, Ravine said to Abaye. Let the master enter first. And Abaye, who apparently was not terribly gracious, said to him, Oh, up until now I was not master? Why do you only begin deferring to me now, uh, but did not do so while we were traveling? So here's, how does this resemble the situation we just saw? With the hand washing at at the banquet. It's a misunderstanding of etiquette. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody travels overseas. They learn, you know, spends some time living uh, uh, in in another country. Uh, comes back, and they might have picked up etiquette from where they were living. Um, <clears throat> so he comes. So he comes back, and he's following an etiquette that that he's familiar with. Uh, and uh, Abaye is not uh, is familiar with the local etiquette. He thinks, okay, when we're traveling al- along the road, uh, you know, the, the important person should should ride in the front. It should be given deference. Um, you know, it's sort of like uh, um, you know, holding a door for somebody. Um, 
or letting somebody hold the door for you. Uh, you know, there, there are some times where, you know, if, if I'm, you know, I want to be the one holding the door. I want to be the one, you know, giving that honor. Um, but, you know, I also have to recognize that people want to be able to give that honor to me, too. Uh, so, you know, there, there are some people who will not allow you to hold the door for them. You know, they must be the person to hold the door for you and, and, uh, uh, and vice versa. There are some people mm. who, who, you know, will stand at a door and wait until somebody opens it for mm. them and say, why wouldn't you open the door for me? You know, so how do you know who's supposed to do it? You don't want to inadvertently offend somebody. That's what this whole passage is about. Uh, so that's why this story is preceded by this. It's already answered because it's, it's by, by the magic of editing. Uh, the, the passage that explains this comes right before it, where it says, one shows deference neither on roads nor bridges nor with regard to dirty hands. Okay, so you don't have to, uh, which by the way, I think is another possible explanation for the first story. Um, per, perhaps Rav understood exactly what the situation was. Maybe he wasn't afraid because he thought uh, uh, Yehuda Hanasi was, was saying his hands were dirty. Maybe he's like, how could I lead the, the Birkat Amazon when this great teacher is sitting here? Uh, how could I possibly be so, so haughty as to you know, you know, take the honor away from somebody who's, who's so high? Uh, and then in which case the, the answer is, because remember, the part about the, the being worried about dirty hands or doing something improper, that's in the commentary. If you look at the, pa the first paragraph we read, pay attention to when it's bold and when it's not bold. Uh, the explanation is in the commentary that it has to do with, you know, oh, he's, he's afraid that he did something wrong, he's afraid that he has dirty hands. But all the Talmud says he was trembling but we don't know why. Maybe he was trembling because he thought he was being asked to take an honor away from this great sage, but it was the great sage who asked him to do the honor, so he's torn. He's, you know, but he asked me to do it. I can't dishonor him by, say, by saying no. Uh, or is it a situation where I'm supposed to say no thank you? You know, uh, you know, paying for a meal. You know, you're supposed to offer to pay for a meal. Uh, you know, there are some places where you're supposed to insist three times before you finally say, okay, fine, you can pay for it. If you don't insist three times, it's considered rude. Uh, you know, what if, what if you say, you know, oh, let me pay for that, and the other person says, okay. Uh, you might think, well, I, I didn't, I, you know, of course I'll pay for it, but I wasn't actually expecting, you know, I mean, that's, what's the, you know, what is the appropriate back and forth? Uh, maybe he's not worried about his hands being dirty at all. Maybe he's worried about, am I supposed to decline and say, you know, oh, thank you for the great, it's an honor just to be asked. Uh, but please, you, you're the great rabbi, you do it. Um, or is he supposed to, to say, yes, go ahead? I, that, to me, is maybe an even better explanation, maybe more plausible for why he was so nervous in this situation because that I can relate to. I, I, I've been in situ. We've all been in situations like that where you're not sure, you know, especially if there's somebody, you know, really important there and they do something and you're, I, I don't know, am I supposed to, you know, politely decline? Am I supposed to do it? You know, what's, how's that going to make me look? 
you know, are, are, you know what, are, what is the expectation? And then his friend says, no, no, it's okay. He's asking you to really do it. <clears throat> so uh, now we've got this other story. We've got uh, Ravine and Abaye. And they're going, they're traveling along, and, and uh, Abaye is getting madder and madder as they're riding along because he's in the back and uh, 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 Ravine is in the front. <coughs> and, uh, and then finally, at the end of the journey, he says, Ah, please, after you, sir. So, oh, now it's after me. Oh, after all this time. You know, clearly, he's been stewing this whole time, right? Uh, th this is this is a little bit of a petty outburst. Until now, was I not master? Uh, why do you only begin deferring to me now that I did so, uh, uh, but did not do so while we were traveling? Ravine said to him, Rabbi Yochanan said the following. So here, Ravine is is saying something you know smart. He, he's he's not saying he's not getting defensive. Well, he's getting a little defensive, but he's doing it in uh, a smart way. He's saying, well, I'm following the teachings of my great teacher. So here, you know, Rabbi Yochanan is an even greater teacher. He's saying, ah, my teacher taught me to do it this way uh, when you're honoring somebody. One only defers to those greater than he at the doorway, at a doorway that has a mezuzah, since uh, that's, that's the point where it's appropriate. So that's why I'm saying it here, because that's, that's how I was raised. That's what he's saying. That's what my teacher taught me that that's the correct uh, etiquette. <coughs> the Gemara challenges, a doorway that has a mezuzah, yes, one defers. A doorway that does not have a mezuzah, no, one does not defer. If so, a synagogue or a study hall that has no mezuzah, I don't know what sort of synagogue or study hall would not have a mezuzah even at that time. There too, does one not defer at their doorways? So what if what if you're entering a, a, a you know building where there is no mezuzah? Does that doorway still count? Do you still hold the door open for you know your 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 elders, your superiors? <clears throat> I lost my place. Uh, rather say that this is the principle: uh, one only shows deference at a doorway where it is worthy of affixing a mezuzah but not at a road or a bridge. So, okay, if a doorway should have a mezuzah, then you treat it like it does. It's not saying literally you check for a mezuzah and if there's a mezuzah there, uh, then you, you know, hold the door. It's, that's basically what, it's, what the question is. Do you, you know, when is it appropriate to hold the door? Um, but it's saying, no, any doorway that, that could hold a mezuzah, mm -hmm. that's where you should do it. Uh, basically, it's saying the same rules that apply to where do you put a mezuzah, those are the same rules that apply to, to you know, letting uh, a, a superior or an elder go first. Um, so that's any doorway, any gate, a gateway to a city, uh, you know, or a gateway to a, um, you know, an estate, you know, there are some large estates that might have a fence around the outside and there's a, you know, a gate that you go in, um, you know, any situation like that where there's where there's a doorway where you would possibly have a mezuzah. Same rules apply for letting someone go first. The Gemara continues with the subject of deferring to one superior during a meal. Rav Yehuda, son of Rav Shmuel Bar Shelat, said in the name of Rav, those reclining at a meal may not eat anything until 
the one breaking the bread has tasted the bread. Rav Safra sat and said, uh, may, not, uh, may not taste, was stated by Rav, and not may not eat, as or was stated. So is it, what, what difference does it make? So he's saying, no, you misquoted it. It's not about eating, it's about tasting. <clears throat> the Gemara asks, what difference does it make whether Rav said taste or eat? The Gemara explains there's no difference and that Rav Sifra's insistence teaches that one must say what he was taught in the precise language employed by his teacher without altering a single detail. All right, so somebody, uh, this is probably another situation we've all been in. You say something, uh, uh, and, and somebody corrects you, and you say, that means the same thing. We're saying the same thing. Why did you correct me? Uh, okay, so when is it appropriate to correct somebody? Because that's kind of rude, right? Uh, if, if you correct somebody and say, oh, no, actually, it's, uh, you know, this, you know, slightly different thing, the meaning is the same, but I'm correcting you anyway. Uh, well, it's saying there are some times when it's important to get it right. Because this is a teaching being quoted in the name of a teacher, they want to make sure that it's precise. The teacher said it exactly this way. They may have had a good reason, even if we don't know what that is, and Furthermore, it doesn't matter if there's a reason they said it a particular way, because it's respectful to quote somebody accurately. Uh, has anybody here ever been quoted in a newspaper? Yeah. yeah. Has anybody here ever been misquoted? Yeah. Uh, even if they get the gist of it right, it's still kind of like, that's not how I said it. Uh, they put it in quotes, like, those are my exact words. Uh, you know, it's, it's polite if you're going to say, this is what somebody said, this is the exact quote. Uh, you want to make sure that you get it right word for word, that that's exactly what they said. You don't want to quote just the gist of it. But, of course, it happens all the time, oh, yeah. you know, especially in, oh, you know, yeah. if you're talking about, you know, local newspapers, you know, oh, yeah. may, maybe, you know, Washington Post or New York Times, that maybe they're more precise, you know, no. make sure they have a recording. No, no. you don't think so? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've never been quoted in a major newspaper or known someone who has. Yes. Uh, even in the Times, no, S P O. Oh, even in the sports uh, paper, they S. They sometimes get it. So wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to quote somebody, make sure you quote it word for word. That that's what the issue is. It's not the difference between taste or eat. He's not correcting his his ruling, his halakha. He's saying if you're going to quote the teacher, it's important to get it right. That again is a matter of etiquette. It's a matter of respect. Question. Well, in the background of all this. The question was, what does God expect of us? Yeah. Now we're going through this. Yeah. What, what, what are we, how do we project it? I mean, I, I would consider it just nonsense, uh, just nothing, no big deal. What's no big deal? This whole uh, etiquette business. Uh, yeah, that's the question. I mean, does God care? <coughs> does God care about etiquette? The Talmud 
which is fundamentally concerned with the question, as Mort says, what does God expect of us? Clearly, the Talmud, by including this here, says, yes, God does care about etiquette. God cares that we treat each other well. And in order to treat each other well, to treat each other with respect, you have to have a system of etiquette. Now, the particular details of, of uh, you know, what that etiquette is, is that cultural? Does it depend from place to place? I don't know. The Talmud doesn't really answer that question, but clearly the Talmud is concerned with etiquette. And you, Mort, have gotten to the very heart of the matter of why we're reading this. It's astonishing that God cares about etiquette. What does whether or not I hold the door open for somebody, what does that have to do with God? According to the Talmud, everything. The way we treat and respect one another, even in arbitrary ways, this is not a matter of life and death. This is just a matter of etiquette, quote, just a matter of etiquette. And yet, clearly, according to the Talmud, because it spends all this time on it, that's something that God cares about. God expects us to have manners. That's astonishing. That's I, I couldn't have set that up better myself. I'll send you the check in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm great. I'm great. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> you are. So you're thanks. On a seat of me. <laughs> hardly, hardly, but thank you. Um, and I think that that's a perfect place to finish. That's the lesson for the day. What's What's the point of all this? God cares about etiquette. So be nice to one another. Um, it seems to me like this is more like honoring the person who's higher than you. It's a hierarchy of... of uh, yeah. The etiquette in, in this case has to do with, with um, you know, respecting your teacher, respecting your elders, respecting somebody of, of a higher earned status. There, notice there are no kings here. This is all, these are these are all people of, of, of different earned statuses. These are people who are a higher status because they are more learned, because they're elders, because they're uh, uh, they've they've achieved more. Um, the the passage continues. Um, if we keep reading, we see a situation where it's just the opposite, where somebody who's a great uh, sage defers to. Uh, uh, those ostensibly below him, uh, which teaches that etiquette goes both ways. But we didn't we didn't have a chance to get to that yeah. today. Go, you, go go home and read read the rest of forty seven a. Wouldn't you be the <laughs> better you'll, person? You'll see a story of, uh, of of a rabbi who goes above and beyond. It's it's in a, a seemingly minor way, but he goes above and beyond. All right, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.